together. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 1. We haven't got to chapter 2 yet. It's been a treat and uh, it'll continue to be so. I hope that you've grown a little bit or grown a lot would be even better uh, as we've read through these letters. I know I always get a lot out of it being able to preach it and teach it. It always kind of speaks to me in a new way when I get to do this. So I, I hope that it does the same for you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to go right down to the verse, of, verse 11. And uh, the Lord has said through Paul in the beginning of this letter, he's talked about how that these guys have persevered and they've done They've kept the word. They've kept their joy, even when they were under some affliction, some persecution. And uh, he said, all is going to be made right. He, he reminds them that Jesus is coming. He reminds them that there'll be a day when all this is right. But he says, even now, that his comfort in the midst of affliction is there, that his, his strength is there, that his joy is there, his spirit is there. But he tells them that, you know, God is going to make all, is going to set all this right. And then he says in verse 11, he says, To this end, we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting here, and we got to start with this. When he says that the Lord may count you worthy of your calling, I understand in 2017, a lot of times when we say you're calling, people are referring to like that specific thing that you do for God or that, that gifting that you have or where God's put you. But you got to know most of the time when the term calling is used in the New Testament, it's actually not talking about a specific thing that you're called to do. It's more talking to, about the fact that you've been called out of darkness and into light, that you've been called into the kingdom of his son. So most of the time when the New Testament says calling, like his calling or your calling, it's not usually talking about the one thing you're called to. It's usually talking about the kingdom you're called to. So the fact that you were called into Christ, you were called into his kingdom, you were called out of darkness and you were called into light. So what is he saying? He says, I pray that the Lord would consider you worthy and count you worthy of your calling. Now we understand something. The blood of Jesus is what makes us worthy, right? You understand that you could not possibly earn a place in the kingdom of God. The standard for that is way too high for any of us because the standard of that, the standard for that is perfection. And there's only one human being on the planet that's ever met that mark, and that was Jesus Christ. And he met that mark for us. So what does it mean, I pray that the Lord would consider you worthy or count you worthy of your calling? This is less about your, your standing in Christ. This is less about your worthiness in Christ and more about the life that we're leading. Is it worthy of the calling we've been called to? And it will be made worthy because he's the one that does this in us. But let me just uh, give you an example. You know, um, uh, let's say you, you did up a house. You did up a room in your house because you had a guest that was coming over. And it was a very important guest. 
And your, your room is, is, is gross, the paint is old, and stuff's dinged up, and the furniture is not quite right, and the, 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 the bedspreads and all that need replacing. So you go into the room, and you repaint everything, and you rearrange the furniture, and you get new bedspreads, you get new everything, and it looks good. You've done a good job in this room. It looks like something that, this, that, that, that really fits, that is, is well-suited to the special guest that's coming. But you still have like a really old like just a really old chair in the room that just doesn't fit anything else, right? You've got nice painted walls. You've got beautiful furniture. You've got a great lamp. You've got wonderful sheets and bedspread, but you've got a really old chair, and it just doesn't match. That chair is not worthy of that room because that room is destined for something great. That room is destined to be the place that you invite your special guest into, and that room is being made ready. But in order for that room to be what you need it to be, you got to get rid of that chair. That chair is just not worthy of the room and of the importance that you've placed on it. So what do you do? You get the chair out. There are things that, that we look at and we go, God called me to this. I'm already part of his kingdom. I don't need to earn my place there. I'm there. The Bible says we're not headed to Mount Zion. We are at Mount Zion. We've been called to it. But we have to understand that the way we live our life can fit or not fit the calling that you have. It can fit or not fit that fact that I'm a child of God. So Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 talks about who you are and does the way you speak fit who you are? Because he says you're a saint, right? Now, now, can anybody tell me what saint means? Go ahead, be brave. I'm not a tricky preacher. Holy, right. It's a holy one. Does anybody here feel like a saint? Right? Everybody's a little hesitant with saint. Like if I started calling you, you know, saint whatever your name is, you'd be like, oh, no, not me, brother, not me. But, but the truth is if we believe who we are in Christ, yes, I'm a saint. Because there's no, once again, I'll go back to that point, there's nobody on the planet that's earned the title of saint. I don't care how nice they were, how many poor people they fed, how many miracles they did, they could not have earned that title without Jesus' blood being shed for them. So you're a saint because of Jesus. That's why in the Bible, in the New Testament, he writes letters to whole churches and he says to the saints, let me tell you, saints, and you guys know if you've ever been a part of any church, there's never a whole church where everybody's doing good. There's never a whole church where everybody's perfect, right? Right? So if he is able to write a letter to a whole group of people in a city and call them all saints, it's got to be about Jesus and not about what they've done, right? That's how he can call them a saint. So Ephesians 4 says, here's who you are in Christ. You're a saint. But then he goes on, he says, watch your mouth. Get all that filthy talk, that coarse jesting, that stupid stuff out of your mouth. Stop talking the way you used to talk because it's not fitting for saints. You see what he's saying? Here's who you are. Now, be authentic to who you are. Let your speech be worthy of who you are. Let your life be worthy of who you are. So in Ephesians 5, he goes on and says this, you are light. Now walk as children of light. You understand that your status in Christ is settled. Amen? It's settled. How I speak and how I live is still, to a degree, up to me. Do I live and speak in such a way that is fitting or worthy of who God has made me to be? 
Now you can hear this and get all under, under all sorts of condemnation because we all know we're never perfect and we're always doing things that seem to fall short. And so we, you can get this and just be so guilty, guilt, guilt-ridden and heavy burdened that you'll think, why even try? And that's not the message I'm trying to give you tonight. Because as we're about to read, and as we already read, the power to live in a way that's reflective of who you are in Christ is all about God working through you. It's all about that. None of this you can do on your own. How many of you have ever heard the term sinful immorality? Even if you haven't heard the term, you know what I mean, right? Sinful immorality. How many of you have heard the term sinful morality? You might not have heard that term, but it's just as real. Did you know that there is a sinful morality? I mean, sinful immorality is easy, right? Those people are living terrible lives. You know, I came out of sinful immorality, you might say. I used to do this and I used to do that. And, 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 and it's obvious. But do you know you can try to live a moral life and it still falls short of the glory of God? Because when you try to live a moral life without the power of God, when you try to live a, a moral life without the righteousness of God, when you're trying to do this on your own, it is just as sinful as when you're out there doing stuff that was blatantly wrong because it falls short of his glory. Nobody can live a moral life, truly moral, a truly righteous life without Jesus Christ. So in your life, we can live a nice Christian churchy existence that is still falling short because we're trying to do it ourselves. And if we're trying to do it ourselves, it won't work. I know that's a simple message. I know that you all know that, but let me tell you again, it just won't work. So I want you to see something here. He says, he, he, he prays for them that the Lord would count them worthy of the calling. And then he says this, and this is so important. This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever you see the word, the phrase according to, this is an important phrase. Do you know why it's important? Because according to is where you're putting the charge. That's, that's, that's where you're getting the power from. So when it says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How is God going to meet your needs? It's according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's not according to your need. It's according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now here he's telling you, God, I pray that God would fulfill every desire for goodness that he's put in you. And the work of faith with power that Jesus may be glorified. And that you'd be glorified in him. Now let me tell you something. This is so key. How do you know whether something you're doing is, is, falls into that category of just, just a, a, of impotent sinful morality. Or if it's actually something you're doing for the kingdom of God. And I think one of the simple tests that's borne out in this little section of scripture that we read is number one, is Jesus glorified? Is Jesus glorified? Is this for his glory or for mine? Now, let me ask you a question and I'll answer it myself, so don't even worry. How is Jesus glorified? Jesus is glorified 
Not when you're a good little Christian and, try, and do something on your own. Jesus is glorified when he does something through you. That's why he's glorified. He's glorified because he's the one that did it, so he's the one that gets the credit, right? See, if you do it by yourself, you get credit. If he does it through you, he gets credit. Now, you might say, why is God so obsessed with getting credit? Well, he deserves the credit. He deserves it. And by him getting glory, his glory is spread. And through us and in us, more and more people see the glory of God. And as we see the glory of God, we're changed by the glory of God. So the first question you need to ask yourself is, all right, I've got a desire in me to do something for the Lord. I've got this desire for goodness that he talks about. I've got this godly resolve in me. Do I plan to do this on my own? And the answer should be no. If I'm going to do anything, it's got to be by the power of God. That's why it says, Peter writes, Every, whoever serves must serve in the strength that God provides that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So the only way Jesus Christ is glorified is if he's the one that's doing it. He's the power source here. According to, as it says at the end, according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So where, what are you plugged into? What's your cord plugged into that's given you the power to do anything? It's the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what you're plugging into. That's the power source. That's the generator you're plugged into. And that power source will never let you down. So the first thing I ask Am I doing this for the glory of God or am I doing this for the glory of me? Now, hang on a minute and don't get so caught up in that that you never do anything because you're afraid. What if I'm doing it for me? See, I've met Christians that are so afraid of doing that that they never do anything. I can't be on the praise and worship team. What if people look at me? Well, so what if they do? What's your goal? What's your purpose? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I can keep my heart right. Then ask God to keep your heart right. But don't let that be a thing where you're so worried about your motives that you never do anything for the Lord. Say, Lord, change my motives. Lord, get my motives right. He doesn't want you to be so afraid. What if I did this for the wrong reasons? Let me ask you a question. Do you really think you'd be doing all these things for the Lord if you were just doing it for your glory? You really got to get to the point where you can believe that God is able to lead and guide your heart and you trust him with it and you say, Lord, this is for your glory. And then do it, but do it by the power of God. So the first thing you ask, whose glory is it for? If Jesus is glorified, that's a good thing. How is Jesus glorified? This is the second question you ask. How am I going to do it? By his power, his grace alone. If those two things are in place, this is a good thing. And those two things work hand in hand. I, I remember a, a preacher, uh, actually it was Bill Johnson said that one of, his, one of his praise and worship team members would always say, and I've heard this a million times myself. In fact, I used to use this line on myself too. Somebody come up and compliment you. I remember when I, I first started playing the bass on stage, I was nervous. I was I was stressed, I, but I had fun doing it once I started doing it. I just didn't want to mess up. And so, you know, people were encouraging, and they'd be like, you know, you did a really good job today. And you'd say, it wasn't any of me. It was all the Lord. And, and uh, what I heard Brother Bill say that was so interesting is he said, he said he always had these team members that would always say that. And he, he said, you know, 
It's okay to just say thank you. That, that was by the grace of God, you know? It's okay to be, say thank you and not just like correct them every time. He said, because honestly, if it was all God, it might have sounded better. <laughs> you know, God used you. And uh, <laughs> boy, I find that true. If it was all God, it would have been better than you did. But you, the Lord did it through you, and he used you. And say thank you. It was by the grace of God. It's, it's Jesus. And you could say it's all Jesus, but, but don't, you know, you don't have to fight with this false humility. We're like, no, no, it was none of me. I did nothing. Well, you, you did something. But give the glory to God because he deserves the glory. Amen. <laughs> that the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way we ever do anything that glorifies God is if we do it by the grace of God. God really likes using people that don't meet the mark and then surpassing the mark with them. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, you say, what a group of losers. Does, you know, he says, not many of you were mighty, not many of you were noble, not many of you were wise, not many of you were strong. But he says, but God chose the weak and the base things of this world to confound the wise. He chose the things that aren't to nullify the things that are so that he'd be glorified. So he, he, will, he will happily use you right where you are to show, look what I can do through a surrendered heart. And that's what he's looking for, a surrendered heart. So I want to go back to that statement that God, the prayer that God would fulfill every desire for goodness. Now, I want you to think about what that means to you. God would fulfill every desire for goodness that you have. I believe it's the English Standard Version that says every good resolve, every godly resolve that you have. Here's what I believe about that. Let me give you an example of what I believe a godly resolve or a desire for good is. I believe this is one of those things that when you see what God's plan for you is, when you see it in his word, when he begins to reveal it to your spirit, all of these things that you see it and you believe it and you resolve, this is how I'm going to live. So the first time that somebody ever told you, you know, that, uh, hey, you're born again, praise the Lord, but God has a desire for you. God has a command for you that you would go out and preach the gospel to the world. Do you remember that, that moment in your life where you said, okay, I'm going to do that? Now, maybe some of you, it was like right off the bat. Maybe some of you, it took you 10 years to, to finally say, okay, Lord, I will. So you made that resolve, I will spread the gospel. I will share the good news. I will be a minister of reconciliation. And more specifically, you, you know, there are moments in your life where you say, you know what, I am, I'm tired of being afraid. I'm going to tell my coworkers about this. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm going to tell my neighbors. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm bringing this up at Christmas with my family. And so you say, why? Because God said, because Jesus commanded me to do it, so I know he's with me if I do. He said he put the words in my mouth, so I'm going to do it. That's the desire. That's that godly resolve. That's that desire for goodness. You have, you have set a desire, a resolve in your heart. I'm going to do this now because it's God's will. But here's where the second part comes in. God would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So what's the work of faith? Well, the resolve is good. 
I've had a lot of those moments, and most of them in a church setting like this, times of worship or times where I'm hearing the word or times where I'm opening my Bible at home or I'm in prayer or conversations with other believers. I've had those moments of resolve. I'm going to do that. Now, here's where the work of faith comes in, where the rubber meets the road and it's time to do it. That's where the work of faith comes where you have usually, I mean, and even more specifically, the work of faith comes in when you have good reason to do the opposite. Let me give you an example. So the work of faith comes in when you're going to go to work and you have resolved, I'm going to share the gospel with my coworkers, but then you realize this is going to be hard. And I might, my relationship with them might be more difficult after I do this. You ever thought about that? I'm sure you have because you guys have been alive for long enough to figure it out. This might, this conversation might change their life. They might come to Jesus right there and then and say, thank God you told me. Give you a big hug. Or they may totally reject you. One of those results has very nice outcomes, right? One of those results has a very nice, I am so glad I shared that. They're with me here in church. How lovely. Or it might turn out that they totally shut the door on you. Now, who's to know what they're going to do later? Because, you know, the guy, the, the guy that really shared the gospel, preached the gospel to the apostle Paul when, when he was an unbeliever, got stoned to death. But God eventually got a hold of the apostle Paul. Isn't that right? So you don't know what God's going to do with the seed you planted. And it's really not your business. I mean, I hope that you get to see it. But it doesn't matter. As long as you are obedient, that's all God requires of you. He's not asking you to save the world. He's just asking you to be obedient, right? He does the saving. The Holy Spirit does the drawing. Your job is to speak the gospel, be a minister of reconciliation. So you go there and you realize, I have resolved that today is the last day I go with these people not knowing the truth. But I might make things more difficult for myself at work if I don't, if I, if I do this. But I'm going to do it anyways. That's the work of faith, where you begin to act on your faith. And here's what he says, that God would fulfill the desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Because here's the good news. What's the work of faith? When Peter's in the boat... And he calls out to Jesus, and he has this desire. I know we used this example a couple weeks ago. But he has this desire to know this is the Lord and to go out to the Lord. So he says, Lord, if it's you, call me out and let me come to you on the water. That's his desire, right? His resolve is if Jesus says, it's me, come on. His resolve is, then I'm going to do it. He's made up his mind. If Jesus says, come, I'm going to come, and I'm going to step out of the boat, and I'm going to walk on the water to him. He's made up his mind. He's set his heart. But then there's that wonderful moment where Jesus doesn't say, Peter, that's a dumb idea. Stay in the boat. But Jesus says, okay, it's me. Come on. Now, he's already got that godly desire, that godly resolve. But stepping out of the boat is a whole new ball game, isn't it? I mean, good for him. He's the only guy in the boat that had that resolve. Nobody else said it. It was just Peter. I guarantee, I, I completely believe, I can't guarantee anything, but I completely believe that if the other 11 had said, us too, Lord, and he said, come, they'd all get to walk on the water. Peter's the only one that, that thought about it and said, yeah, I want to do this. So he's got a desire, 
And you know what? Jesus is going to be glorified when Peter walks on the water. He, he has that desire, and then there's a moment where he's got to act on his faith. Right? So he steps out of the boat. You guys probably see it the way I see it here. I don't think there was any power involved in him putting his leg over the edge. I don't think God lifted his leg and put it over the edge. I don't think God grabbed him by the shirt and catapulted him over. I think that was him obeying and, and, and the faith that he had, just saying, I'm going to do it no matter what. But I guarantee there was power when his foot hit the water. Like he had to put some, some effort into his will, but God really did all the work once that man's foot hit the water. This is what it's like for you. You have that moment where you say, Lord, if it's, if it's, it's what you're asking of me, I'll do it. You just say the word, and he does. Desire for goodness, a godly resolve. But then comes the moment. It's here now. You've talked about it, but it's here now. And he says, step out of the boat, and you go, that's when the work of faith comes. But I guarantee you, the work of faith is always with power. And when you step out in faith, God's power is there with you. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who meditates on the word of the Lord, meditates on it day and night, tells us he will be like a tree planted by the water whose roots extend to the stream. Very similar to Jeremiah 17. And it says, whatever he does, he prospers. So what is he doing? He's meditating on the word of God day and night. So there's a point in your life where you decide, okay, God, and I'm just giving you this as an example. It might have been different in your life. But you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you 15 minutes of every day or half an hour of every day, hour of every day. Whatever. You set a time and you said, I'm going to give this to the Lord. I am not going to go a day without opening my Bible and going to the Lord in prayer. But then a day comes when your business is requiring more of you than it did when you made that promise. Maybe it's on your farm or ranch or maybe it's your, your own business that you run or maybe you're having to work extra hours and you say, God, I'm so exhausted. I don't have time to do the thing I told you where I was going to get in the word for this much and pray. But you understand I got to earn money. Now, there are two realities that are clashing here. See, the word says if you'd meditate on his word day and night, whatever you do would prosper. Right? But your flesh is saying if I Meditate on his word as much as I say. I won't get as much work done and I won't prosper as much because I need to get more work done. So your flesh is saying, get more work done. And your spirit is saying, trust God. The question is, are you walking by faith? Or are you walking by sight? Because if you're walking by faith, you believe if I would get into the word. In fact, forget this. You're saying if I... My, my prosperity, my doing well in my job depends on me getting into the Word. So I'm going to get into the Word. Now, the same thing happens with tithing, right? When you made up, I mean, you may have made up your mind, I'm going to tithe like the Word says, when things were rolling in like gravy. And it was the easiest decision in the world to make because you had lots of extra lying around. But then things tightened up. You had another kid or, or job scaled back. You didn't have the same hours. The economy went down. And now it's a little tougher. Now is the question of, is your faith still engaged? Is this still a work of faith? Because that's the moment when you really know where faith is there. Because in the natural, you say, I can't afford to give up 10% or more. 
But your spirit says, your faith says, I can't afford not to. Don't you think those farmers back in the Old Testament, when God said, give me one out of seven of all your days, don't you think there were times where they said, Lord, you have to make an exception. I got to get this done. I don't have, if I take a whole day off, one day off a week, I'll never get all this done. He says, just prove me in this. Just trust me in this. Don't you think I can do more with the six days if you give me the seven? Give me the seventh and I'll do more with your six days. Give me the tithe, I'll give you more. I'll, give me the 10%, I'll, give, I'll do more with the 90 that you have. That's a work of faith. Because you already resolved in your heart back there that you're going to do it. But the work of faith is when you feel like not doing it and you still decide, I'm going to obey the Lord. And that's where the work of faith with power comes in. You read in the Bible that it says, lay hands on the sick and you, they will recover. And it becomes alive to you. And you go, man, that's, Jesus said believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He didn't say preachers will. He didn't say pastors will. He didn't say evangelists will. He said believers will lay hands on the sick. And I'm a believer, so I'm going to do that. Lord, give me an opportunity. The first person you give me, and you put across my path that needs healing. I'm going to lay hands on them. I'm going to pray for them. And I believe they're going to be healed. That's the godly resolve. That's the desire for goodness. God put that desire in you. And you guys all know it. You know what it's like when God puts it in. I know what it's like. I know it's God because I, I have experienced it on Sunday and on Monday, I'm already trying to talk myself out of it, right? I'll say, God, I'll do that. Totally, God, I'm going to do that. Yes, Lord, because I'm in a moment where I am so open to the Spirit of God that it's very easy to hear His voice. You know those moments where we're in like praise and worship, and your hands are up, and the Lord is speaking to you. You're at the altar. The Lord is speaking. You're hearing the word preached. The Lord is speaking. You're at home spending time in the presence of God. The Lord is speaking to you. And in those moments, you go, okay, Lord, that's big, but I'll do it. And the next day, you, you're just kind of thinking. And you go, what did I say? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's almost like a... Uh, the opposite of a hangover, you know, because instead, I mean, you've had a good experience now, you know. So, I mean, you're like the spiritual hangover. You're like, oh, no, I did some crazy things last night. I said some crazy things to Jesus. But you didn't. You were open to him. So you were finally listening to his voice more than you normally do. God put a desire in your heart. And one of the ways you know it's him is, number one, it lined up with his word. Number two, you never would have thought of that on your own. You never would have said that. How many of you, when you were unbelievers, just had an urge to go up and stick your hands on sick people? How many of you, when you were unbelievers, just felt like giving 10% of your money away? How many of you, when you're unbelievers, felt like pushing your religion on people? Well, we don't have religion. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But how many of you would have gone up to strangers and tried to convince them of something? I know there's a few of you, but most of us, that's not the case. So God put it there. He was fulfilling a desire. He put a desire there. Philippians 2 says this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God, for it is God at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure or to work out, work his good pleasure. So let me tell you that. God is the one that's working in you for you to have the will to do what pleases him. There are desires that God put in you. 
that you didn't come up with, that nobody forced on you, but God put it in you. That's God fulfilling that, putting that desire for goodness, that godly resolve in you. And if he put it there, he'll fulfill it. You got to trust that. If God put this desire in me, God can get it done. That he would fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So he's in there to fulfill the desire and he's in it when you finally act on your faith. His power is there according to his grace. You'll get it done. So I want to, I mean, this is, this is, I know this is simple, but follow me because if we all did this, we wouldn't be able to recognize each other in five years. If we all just really said yes in every area to the Lord. But here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to look back at the times that God did put a resolve in you. That God put a desire in you and you said yes to the Lord. I want you to look back and say, am I doing that? Because I've looked back and I've said, I remember saying it, but I haven't done anything about that. Look back, and if you haven't done that, if you haven't kept it, say, Lord, I'm, I'm remembering. Thank you for reminding me. And, and yes, Lord, I, I say yes again. And I know that if Paul could pray it, I can pray it. Lord, I'm asking that you would fulfill this desire for goodness in me, that you would help me to fulfill this resolve. And then ask God this question. What does the work of faith attach to this desire, attach to this resolve? What does the action look like? Because we can sit around in church all day and say, yes, Lord, I'd like to do that. Yes, Lord, I'd like to do that. But it'll mean nothing if we're not going to act on it. Am I right? It would mean nothing. If we just write in our journals all these wonderful things we'd like to do, if we never act on it, that's all it is. It's just a dream. I'm not saying it has to happen right away. Sometimes we force the issue. But if you're being led by God and led by the Spirit, trust that He will fulfill the desire. And there's going to be a moment where there is a work of faith, an act of faith, where you're going to have to put some feet to your words. And in that moment, He's going to fulfill that desire for goodness and He's going to fulfill the work of faith with power. And the result is that he will be glorified. I want you to know this. I want you to get this so deep inside of you. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, oh, you just want to do that so everybody looks at you. You want to do that so everybody thinks you're the greatest. If there's any trace of that in your heart, just ask the Lord to take that away. But don't let it stop you from doing what God called you to do. Because ultimately, God's going to get glory when you start allowing him to use you, despite your flaws, in fact, sometimes our, you know, Paul said it very clearly. He said, I'll glory in my weaknesses because in those times, in those areas I'm weak, the power of God is made perfect in me. Like God's power is perfected in the areas where I'm really not good at that. I really don't have it. I'm really not equipped. Those areas that I'm weak He's proven to be strong, right? So don't be afraid of your weaknesses. Now, when I say weaknesses, I'm not talking about living in sin. I'm not talking about rebellion against God, but I'm talking about just acknowledging, hey, maybe I'm not fully cut out for this. In in my own strength, I couldn't get it done. But maybe that's why God wants to do it through me. So his power could be shown. 
So let God lead you to a place of desire and a place of resolve where you say, I will. This is where godly relationships are so key. Whether it's your spouse, if you've got a a spouse that believes like you believe, or a friend, or somebody in your life that's going to encourage you. I'm not talking about the negative Nancys, the Debbie Downers, you know, all those folks that, both of those are female. There's got to be a, a guy named to that. A what? Negative Ned, maybe? Not the same ring. Douglas Downer? Okay. Anyways, I'm not talking about those that just discourage every time you say something. Although, a friend that's willing to tell you the truth is a good thing. <laughs> See, if all you have is yes people in your life, That's a problem too. If you've ever seen the auditions in American Idol, you know those friends that told you you could sing when you can't sing are not friends at all. (laughs) And it's their fault you're on TV humiliating yourself. So there's a balance. There's good godly counsel where somebody will say, "Can can I just be honest with you? I encourage you. I believe that's God. But like, here's, here's a thought. And they might give you some, some, constructive criticism. And when I say criticism, automatically think that's a bad word. But constructive means building you up. If if they're going to say, here's what I see, and I think if you can change, if you can work on this, then then that'll be great. Or, or, you know, maybe you're just seeing it from one angle, but I believe God's given me another angle. And I'm not talking about a discourager. I'm talking about an encourager who can be honest. But if you can open your heart to somebody and say, This is the desire God put in my heart. Here's what's wonderful about that. Number one, they will remind you and hold you to it. Because I've made tons of, I've had these moments where I said, yes, Lord. And you know what? If I don't tell anybody, it's very easy for me to let that go away. Telling someone makes it real to you in a different way. Writing it down makes it real, but telling someone makes it really real. Because now it's out there. And I encourage you, if you're on the other side of somebody opening their heart, be aware that they're opening their heart. Be careful with your words. Don't respond without the grace of God. Because in that moment, there's a vulnerability. There's a, an openness. This may be something that is really hard for them to imagine. And it's important that we do, here's what the scripture says, you have trained my ears to be the ears of a disciple that I might sustain, and you've awoken my ears. You've, you've, spoke, you've taught me how to hear you so that I could sustain the weary one with a word. So God wants us to hear before we talk. And it's important that when someone opens their heart and says, I know this is crazy, but this is what the Lord put on my heart, that you don't react out of your own unbelief right away. You don't react out of your own earthly wisdom right away, but you Give it a beat and let God speak. And if you don't know what God says about it, say, all right, that's awesome. I'm going to be praying with you about that. Because you can kill that thing so early by your discouraging words, but you can cause it to grow by your encouragement and by your prayer. So number one thing, find, write it down. Find somebody to talk to about it and just say, this is what's on my heart. It's not fully formed. It may need tweaking. I don't know, but I'm just, I need to let you know. I need to be accountable to somebody. You know, so many times we talk about accountability. It's like, don't let me look at porn. You know, I need an accountability partner. Like, don't let me do this. Don't let me do that. I use that example because almost always with men, that's the thing. Like, don't let me look at something I shouldn't look at. We use accountability for like, don't let me sin. 
But you know what? We need accountability when it comes to doing the things that God put on our heart to do. It's more than just like, keep me, keep me from doing something bad. You need accountability so someone could say, I heard you. I was there when the Lord spoke that to you. Don't let that die. Do you want an example of that? Kim does, so I'm, you're all going to get it. An example of that is when Paul wrote to Timothy, right? He reminds him several times. He says, don't forget, don't, we talked about this, don't neglect the gift that's in you that was on you through the laying on of hands and the, prophes- the prophetic utterance by the presbytery. He says, don't forget what I've prophesied over you. Don't forget what has been spoken over you. Kindle it afresh. You know what's so cool about that? Somebody else was listening to what God said to Timothy. You ever paid attention when, when someone's being prophesied over? Because you should. Because you know what? There may be a point where they need someone to remind them. Timothy needed it. He needed someone to say, I know what the Lord said to you. I was there. I heard it. So don't you forget it. So tell someone. Write it down. Secondly, you need to at some point ask yourself, what does the action look like and when should the action come? Maybe it's not right away. But even if it's not right away, I guarantee there are little actions that lead up to the big action. Start working on it. Ask God to show you the next step. Because, guys, a, a, as they say, a goal without a deadline is just a dream. And I'm not saying set deadlines for God because if Abraham had done that, he would have been done a long time ago. You know, sometimes it's a long way off. But ask the Lord to show you what action looks like. And then when it comes time, don't be afraid. Don't be cowardly. Don't be intimidated. But say, Lord, I'm engaging my will to act. And I trust that you are engaging your grace, your power to get it done. Your will is important to God. God's not going to do it. God's not going to force you to do something that you didn't agree to do. He's looking for willing vessels, willing servants, willing children, obedient. Those are the people he's looking for. So what's he saying? It's God that's at work in you to provide the will to do what he wants you to do. God's the one that put those desires in you. Not every desire that you have is from the Lord. But I guarantee there are desires in you that are from the Lord and that he'll get them done if you'll trust him with them. When it comes time to act in faith, depend on the power and the grace of God. Because you can't do it on your own. And if you did, it wouldn't glorify God. So just trust. Step out in faith. And I want you to know, I pray these prayers for you. If you're part of this church and I'm your pastor, this is something I'm praying for you. We should pray it for one another. God, I pray that you would fulfill every desire for goodness, every godly resolve you've put in them. You would fulfill that. Notice that he's not saying you fulfill it. He says God will fulfill it. If you'll give it to God, he'll get it done. And the work of faith with power. Because when we, when we act in faith, God's power is involved. That's when stuff gets awesome. That's when stuff gets amazing. That's when God uses little old us to change the city and change the world. So we step out in faith. I just challenge you right now to not 
be neglectful of what God put inside you, but be aware, wake up, have your eyes open, have your ears open, pay attention. Don't sleepwalk through the rest of your life, but wake up to what God's put on your heart to do. Don't panic if it's not happening right away. Are you engaging with it? Are you praying through it? Are you praying over it? Are you going back from time to time and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm still ready. Is it time? Are you acting on what you know already? Because when we make that godly resolve, he's going to be there to get it done. If we can trust him with it. So would you stand and we'll pray together?